we started back in February, we covered eight chapters, and if you weren't here or you're paying attention, this is the breakdown of the first eight chapters. I want to give you a quick summary. First eight chapters is about how God has made us righteous. I got good news and bad news. You ain't righteous. God has to make you righteous. You don't have what it takes. You may look good this morning, but you ain't righteous. Only Jesus can make you righteous. Can you say amen? amen. And then we talked about how God works in and for his righteous people. God begins the work. God is the one that continues the work. He who begins the good work will finish it. It's all about Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Now, the next three chapters are very, very challenging chapters. You're going to need to lean in if you really want to get this. If you just came to church because we have a picnic, you're going to miss the word. Right? But there's a picnic right now before the next picnic is the word of God that's going to fill your soul and your mind if you're paying attention. But these next few chapters are going to be very challenging. The next three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul does something interesting. He focuses on the Israelites to show you the bigger picture that God had a plan all along. And we're going to get into the complex doctrine of election and predestination, which these are very deep theological words. I'm going to do my best to try to simplify it, but the Holy Spirit has to be at work in your life for you to really get this, because you won't get this without the Holy Spirit, trust me. And he gets into how the Jewish people, him being himself a Jew, and their struggle with unbelief, even though God chose them to bring about the Messiah to earth. And we're going to get into who God is and how he works. And so we're going to spend the next probably, I don't know, six years on three chapters of Romans. I'm just kidding. My goal is to finish this series this year, God willing. But we're going to take our time because this is going to be a very, very challenging thing to grasp. Now, here's why it's so challenging to grasp, okay? I have a challenge for you to grasp this message. You ready, Brockton? I got a challenge for you. The only way you're going to be able to grasp this message for the next 35 minutes, I need you to do something very hard. You ready? I need you to stop being American. That's funnier than you think. Because we think, Americans, we think everything is about us. And we completely miss the point that God had a plan and a purpose, but he started with a group of people named Israel. And so in order, you won't be able to understand the Bible if you don't understand that that first God decided to reveal himself to a group of people named Israel, and all of this is about them first, then you. So if you go to the Bible like, I want to be blessed today, and you don't understand that God was first speaking to a group of people, then, then he shows you how he wants to speak to you, you're going to miss it, and you're not going to read the Bible. It's the reason why most Americans don't read the Bible, because it's not about them first. It gets quiet because we're all Americans in this room, and you understand what I'm talking about. Like, if it ain't about you, then it's not gospel. That's the American gospel. Hello, somebody. We're going to talk about the Jesus gospel that is for the world. Can you say amen? So if you have your Bibles and if you're able to not be American, you're going to get something from this message. Romans chapter 9. I'm going to read the first five verses and then we're going to, we're going to work our way down to verse 13. But this is going to require some, some doing on your part to get this. It's not going to fall on your lap. All right, Americans. It won't fall on your lap. You're going to have to do something called work okay uh, Romans chapter nine, Romans chapter 9 says I speak the truth in Christ I'm not lying my conscience testified to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters my own flesh and blood they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Christ, who is God, over all, praise forever. That is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? I'm going to get right into this, and I want you to capture the heart of this man named Paul. Paul is called by Jesus as a Jew to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Anyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. But Paul, his heart is breaking because his fellow 
Israelites, not all of them are following the will of God. Not all of them are in the will of God. Not all of them have embraced Jesus as their Messiah, as their Lord and Savior. Now remember that he's speaking to a church in the city of Rome that was filled with both Jews and Gentiles, and he was trying to bring them together under the umbrella of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul stops here and he says, let me, let me unpack some things here regarding our people, the Israelites, and show you how it affects all of us. It affects all of us if you're paying attention this morning. But I want you to first capture his heart. He wants to show you that, hey, before I share some of these deep truths with you, they're going to be uncomfortable. I want you to get my heart. I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I want you to know that I'm, I'm speaking from a broken heart. I'm speaking from a place that, that, that really breaks me to know that a lot of you are not following God. You're not following his will. You're not following his purpose. He's willing to forsake his own salvation for the, for the salvation of his people. That's fascinating to me. Paul, to me, is one of the most fascinating human beings that's ever lived. He's willing to be cut off from Christ, he says, if my fellow believers, Jews, friends could come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Catch this man's heart before you get his theology. That's a word. A lot of people can do theology, but a lot of people don't have the heart behind the theology. I've met a lot of religious people who can break down the Greek and Hebrew, but they could care less about people. They don't care about people. They care about being knowledgeable. They care about being right. But they don't care about having a heart for people. My friends, there's a disconnect when we say we love God, but we don't love people. Something is wrong with our theology where it's all about what I know, but it doesn't affect how I treat others and how I care about them. Paul is like, I want, you to sh I want to show you I'm not cold in my feelings about what I'm about to share. I'm sharing from a place of compassion. I'm sharing from a place of love. I'm sharing from a place of urgency to get you to understand that without the gospel, you have absolutely nothing. Are you tracking with me? My friends, before we go any further, may we have a heart for people who are far from God like Paul has a heart for people who are far from God. When was the last time your heart broke because you know people who don't know Jesus? It's the beginning of the school year. I don't know how you feel, but when I drive by New Bedford High, my heart breaks for these kids because there's a whole generation who's living apart from the will of God. I don't know about you, but man, sometimes I stop by there and I just cry and I pray, God, bring revival to our city so our children can know you and have a relationship with you. I knew God gave me a heart for New Bedford when we moved here. I'm not from here. I started driving around and just my heart would break to see the brokenness of the people around us. My friends, once in a while, and, and, and you run the risk, the longer you are in church, the more you run the risk of having a callous heart. Once in a while, we need to pray, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. It breaks God's heart when people are far away from him. It breaks God's heart when people are trying to figure out life without him. My friends, it's not enough for you and I to be in God's house. We need to be thinking about others who are outside of his will to bring them into the presence of his will. That's the heart of Paul. Paul is not just a theologian. Paul is a human. Somehow, sometimes we study the Bible and we become robots. We, we spew out information, but we don't have no heart for the people that we're actually talking to. It's embarrassing and it's a shame to hear people who say they believe in God, but they don't care about people. That's a problem. We need to pray again, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God does not want people to live without his will. Can you say amen? amen. So you have to understand, if you're going to understand the Bible, you have to understand the relationship that God established between him and the people of Israel. It's impossible to understand the Bible without understanding that relationship. Everything, the plan of salvation starts with the Israelites. Everything that God wanted to do on the earth, he said, I'm going to start with a group of people, and my prayer is that we're going to take this and permeate the rest of the world. So I need to give you a quick Bible study on the Israelites and why God chose them and how it affects us today. Because if you're paying attention, it's not just about them. It begins with them, but you're supposed to grab the baton and run with this thing. 
if you really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a quick Bible study because you have to go home and look up the scriptures to understand why Paul is saying what he's saying. In verse 4 and 5, he says, look, God elected these people for a reason. And he gave them privileges. If you're taking notes, the word election is another word for privilege. God gave them certain privileges to know certain things, but not just for themselves, but for them to share with the rest of the world. If you're a believer, you are privileged. If you know Jesus, you know you are privileged. Not everybody in the world has a relationship with Jesus. But my friends, I always say, two words comes to mind when I think about God's election. It's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. God has given you a privilege to know him and a responsibility to get others to know him and his will for their lives. The problem is, as you leave their history, they love the privilege, but they forsook, they forsook the responsibility. And they became selfish. They became focused on themselves and began to lose the purpose that God had for them. It could happen to any of us. You could be in church but not be into the will of God. You can love the privilege and not love the responsibility that comes with the privilege. Are you tracking with me? So look, here's the Bible study real quick. Here's the privilege of Israel that God gave them, chose them. First of all, Paul says they have the privilege of adoption. In Exodus chapter 4, when Moses goes to speak to Pharaoh about releasing the people of God out of slavery, he says this, God told Moses, go tell Pharaoh that these people are my firstborn. I've adopted them as my own. That's how God looks at Israel. He says, I have adopted them as my own. Fast forward to the New Testament. What does Paul tell us? Through Jesus Christ, God came to adopt us into his family so all of us can say we're not just creatures of God. We are children of God. Adoption is a privilege. Second, he says God gave them his glory. The glory of God, if you're taking notes, is the manifestation of his presence. God is everywhere, but God chooses to be in certain places in a way that we can be able to know that he's in that place. Right? Once in a while, you come to church and you're like, man, God was really there. Why? Because the manifestation of God's presence was tangible. Right? It's, it's once in a while that the two realms come really close together. We can touch, and this is the glory of God. In other words, for the glory of God, is the Shekinah glory. God's like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make sure I camp with you. When you have those tent meetings, I'm going to be right in the middle of you. And when you have sacrifices, I'm going to be right there. And when you burn an offering, I'm going to be right in the middle of you to show you that I'm with you and I'm for you. Fast forward to New Testament. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you my spirit to be with you all the time. My Holy Spirit will go with you wherever you go. The Spirit of God is the glory of God, the presence, the manifestation of His presence. Third, Paul says you have the covenant of God. What is a covenant? It's an agreement. It's a, it's a contract. It's a commitment. God's like, I'm making a contract with you. I'm making a vow with you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make a way for you. When you get married, you're, you're making a vow between not just two people, but between two people and God in the middle saying, I'm going to come and bless this covenant. I'm going to bless this commitment. I'm going to bless this agreement. And God, throughout the Old Testament, was making it clear, hey, I chose you, and I'm going to commit myself to you. Beginning in Genesis, God commits himself to a man named Abraham. If you know the story of Abraham, there was nothing significant about Abraham. Abraham actually lived in a very demonic place, and they worshiped demonic gods. God decided, I'm choosing you. I'm going to get you out of that environment, and I'm going to begin to show you my will for your life, but not just for you, but I'm going to bless you in order to be a blessing to many nations to come. The Abrahamic covenant is the first agreement that God makes with the people of Israel. The second agreement he makes with them is in Exodus chapter 24 through a man named Moses. He takes Moses and he says, you are going to represent me. You're going to go into Egypt. You're going to take my people out. You're going to bring them into the promised land and I'm going to make an agreement that I'm going to be their God and I'm going to provide for them. And then he makes a covenant with another man named David. King David becomes the king of Israel and God says, hey, through you, this lineage of, of kings will come the king of kings and the 
Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ will come through this lineage that I'm establishing with you in this day. My friends, this covenant is also true to every believer today. Jesus, before you went to the cross, he says, this is my covenant, my blood shed for you, my body given to you, so you can know that I will always be for you, committed to you forever. And then he says, God gives them the law, right? They come out of Egypt, 450 years in slavery. They don't know who they are. They don't have an identity. They don't have a purpose. God's like, I'm going to begin to give you an identity and a purpose. I'm going to give you laws so you know me, so you know how to relate to each other, so you know how to live life the right way, my friends. I got news for us. If our world just lived by the Ten Commandments, we would have a better world. If we just abide by the Ten Commandments. Because think about it. None of the commandments blesses God. It blesses us. Like, imagine a world where we don't lie, we don't steal, we don't kill, we don't cheat, we don't covet, we put God first. That's amazing. Imagine that. Imagine we live in a world where everybody's like, yo, it's, it's good that I don't kill you. It's good that I don't lie. It's good that I don't, you know, covet your stuff. Imagine how different the world would be. That's what God did. God's like, hey, I know you, you, you were slaves. You, you had no identity. I'm giving you an identity. Here's how you can please me. Here's how you can bless each other. Here's how you can help each other. And then you double down in Deuteronomy 4, and he says, now, I don't want these laws to just be something that you do outwardly because you can do something outwardly, but I really mean it in your heart. What does Jesus say? He says the new covenant is what? Is that you love one another. Because if you truly love someone, you're not going to hurt them. So you see how good God has been to the people of Israel and how he was setting up the stage to bring Jesus into the world. And then Paul says, look, he also gave you the temple service to know how to approach him. The temple service is, is how God wants us humans to approach him. See, the mistake we make, here's where the American thing gems up our minds, is we think we can give God whatever. Right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Like, God knows my heart. Yeah, that's the problem. He knows you're vile. He knows you're selfish. He knows you're prideful. He knows you're egotistic. He knows that you only want your will. And so that's not going to work. He needs to tell you how to go about it. So the temple service is how you approach God, how you worship, how do you pray, how do you reconcile, how do you bring your offerings the right way. People think, oh, God just want my money. No, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Okay? And if you don't have your heart attached to your money, you might as well keep your money because he might reject your offering like he rejected Cain's offering. Hello, somebody. God wants what God wants. Jesus comes and says, look, now, no more sacrifices. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. I am the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Like, if you want to come to know me, know me through my sacrifice and my forgiveness of sin, and we'll be able to have a relationship, not based on your merits, but based on my goodness towards you. How are we preaching this morning? And he keeps going. He says, look, God only gave you promises. There are over 700 promises in the Bible. And when God promises something, you can take it to the bank. Right? Because God is not a man that he shall lie. And the promises of God was, majority of the promise of God was that one day I'm going to become human among you. And I'm going to come and reign among you. I'm going to come and show you who I am in person. I'm going to be a physical embodiment of myself through my son Jesus Christ and so there's tons of these prophecies I'll just give you a few of them just to show you how powerful the word of God is so listen my friends the word of God is not old school the word of God is eternal what God says will come to pass with the way he intended for Jesus to come has happened and the way he intended for him to come again will happen again in his own time in his own way in his own pace so the Bible is full of promises of God for the people of God, and then to bless the entire world through Jesus Christ. And then you get to the patriarchs. Paul says, look, he even gave you patriarchs. In other words, he gave you examples of faith. What's interesting about these patriarchs, there was nothing fascinating about them. Every one of them was flawed. Every one of them was crazy. Every one of them was jacked up. Every one of them made mistakes. The only common denominator is that God chooses who he wants to use and bless. It has nothing to do how good you are. It's how good God is. Uh, if, you, if you look at these guys' resume, it's very shaky. Abraham. <laughs> Abraham's like, listen, that, that ain't my wife. It's my sister. God's like, you're lying. You're about to get everybody killed. Isaac, uh, he was a noodle. Jacob, his name speaks for itself. He was a hustler, not in a good way. Uh, 
hey, rise and grind. <laughs> that was Jacob, but not in an honest way. Joseph, well, you know, Joseph thought he was like the favorite. You know, I got my coat. Look at me. Look, I'm amazing. And his brother was like, yeah, we're going to kill you. <laughs> Moses, well, Moses, you know the story, right? Moses was trying to liberate the people by his own strength, and he ended up killing someone. He ended up spending 40 years in the desert. Like, Moses had a serving problem, and he's like, God, uh, how, how? In the, uh, God's like, stop talking. I'll, Aaron, come over here. Come help this dude out. <laughs> Joshua, Joshua was crazy. Joshua would just kill everybody. Like, Joshua was just like, yo, just, if you get in my way, I'm going to kill you. All right? Samuel, well, Samuel, you know, was do, did his thing, but then he didn't really correct his kids. His kids ended up making a mess of things. David, you know David, right? And then he killed someone, and he had an affair. Those are the patriarchs. <laughs> the point is, God elects based on who he is, not based on who we are. That's good news. You're a knucklehead, you can qualify. But all of them, the point of these patriarchs was, was twofold. One was God was revealing his promises, but also they were foreshadowing a greater one, who is Jesus to come. That's what the patriarchs are all about. Keep going. I want to show you what Paul says. He says, because of all of this, we will get the Savior, Jesus Christ. I got a crazy revelation for you. Ready? Jesus was Jewish. That's, that's revelation for Americans because we think Jesus was American. Hey, blue eyes, blue shampooed hair, does dandruff commercials, and he says things like, behold. Every Jesus movie, behold. Like, he didn't speak English. He spoke Aramaic. He lived in a real ghetto. The slums, they were like, there's no way something good can come out of there. That's where Jesus came, through these Israelites, through these people. Why? Because in order for him to become a human being, he needed to have a culture. He needed to have a tribe. He needed to have a place. And Jesus chose the Israelites. And then God says, you know why I chose the Israelites? Because they were nothing. He says, I chose nothing to confound the wise so that when I do stuff, that you don't expect me to do, you got to give me glory because there's no way they can pull that off. <laughs> Hello, somebody. That, that's why he chose Israel. And so, my friends, we, we, we get to this place, and Paul says something really heavy. Paul is like, man, my heart breaks because some of these people are not following God. They didn't embrace the Messiah. They didn't embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then he goes on to say this. Watch this. This is heavy. Please follow because this is going to get very deep. Verse 6, look, now it is not as though the word of God has failed because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Very important. Do not just skip over that. Says people are like, well, if God is so good, then how come not all of them are following God? Well, because not all of them are true Israel. Put a pin on that because we're coming back to this. Verse 7, neither it is the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children, please catch this, by physical descent who are God's children. But the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come, God says, and Sarah will have a son. And they were in their hundreds. In other words, there's no way they can pull this off. There was no Viagra back then. <laughs> Verse 10. And not only that, but Rebecca conceived children through one man, our father Isaac. For though her sons had not been born yet, watch this, or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to, what's that word there? Election, my stand. Not from, what's that word? Not from works, but from the one who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Man, God hates. Put a pin on that. Very important. Not all Israel are the true 
Israel. That's extremely important if you're going to understand the Bible. Extremely important if you're going to understand the election of God over people. We must define what is true Israel here. We must define, in other words, who is truly the people of God. Notice the distinction. He says, just because someone is born physically does not, does not mean they were born spiritually. Notice he said, he said, he said, Abraham had two sons. Abraham had Ishmael, and then Abraham had Isaac. Problem is, Ishmael was born according to Abraham's will. Isaac was born according to God's will. Are you tracking? Ishmael was because Abraham was trying to help God fulfill his promises. And he rushed the will of God, and he jacked up the will of God by giving birth to Ishmael. And when all hope was lost, God says, now you're ready because it has to be that I'm doing this. Then Sarah conceives and gives birth to Isaac, who is the true promise of God. My friends, very important. Just to be born physically is not enough. You must be born spiritually. There was a man who came to Jesus by the name of Nicodemus. He was a religious man, and he said to Jesus, I don't get it. Like, like how is this possible? Jesus says, the problem is you're looking at it just from a physical standpoint. You must look at it from a spiritual standpoint. Yes, you were born physically, but you need to be born again spiritually. What does that mean for us? Let me tell you what it means. Being born into a Christian home does not make you a Christian. It just means that you were born. A lot of people all over this country are going to go to church today and say, Ah, I am a Christian. Why? Because your mom was a Christian. No, your mom birthed you, but you must be born again. You need to have your own relationship with Jesus. You don't understand. I got cactized, baptized, dunk ties, altar boy. Great, Ishmael. You better get born again so you can have the presence of God in your life and have a real relationship with God. Let me tell you something else. Going to church does not make you a Christian. It just meant you woke up and went to an early building this morning. Unless you are born again. Right? We have people all over this nation deceiving themselves, thinking, I showed up physically, where's my brownie? Oh, you better show up spiritually and engage the presence of God with your spirit so you know you actually have a relationship with him and you're not just in the building physically, but you're in the building spiritually. Being a moral person doesn't make you a Christian. It just means you have nice morals. By the way, you're very hypocritical because your morals are very Ishmael-like. You pick and choose what you want to be moral about. You could be moral and go to hell. But you know, I'm a really good person. Yes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You must be born again. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen, my friends, knowing the Bible does not make you a Christian. Go read your Bible. You know who, who Jesus had the most problem with? Religious people who knew the Bible, but they didn't have the heart of God. You know who else knows the Bible? The devil. Matthew chapter 4, he quoted a psalm to Jesus. So knowing head knowledge does not mean you know God. You got to go from head to heart to transformation to really know that you are a Christian. This is important. Jesus said, when the day of judgment comes, many are going to say, didn't we do this and do that in your name? He's going to say, apart from me, I never knew you. Scary. But it's not unless you embrace him as your Lord and Savior. You see why Paul's heart's breaking for his people? Because they think they have it because they have the physical, but they don't have the spiritual. Are you tracking? And then he goes on to say, he says, hey, let me give you another example. What about the twins in Rebecca's womb? You know the story of the twins, Jacob and Esau. It's a crazy story. You should read it. In the, in the Genesis, listen, they are fighting in the womb. 
fighting because Jacob is trying to be first. And if you know anything about the firstborn, you know that's privileges. That's responsibility. That's, in other words, that's your salvation. That's your purpose. And so they're fighting. And the Bible says that Esau comes out first and Jacob comes out grasping at his heel. Jacob's like, I'm trying to be first. <laughs> Homeboy was hustling from the womb. <laughs> and the Bible says they grow up and they had these parents who made the cardinal sin of parenting. They had favorites. Dad loved Esau. Mom loved Jacob. Esau was a hunter. Esau would go out in the woods, hunt for life, come back. Look at me, Dad. Dad's like, that's my man. <laughs> Jacob's over here, mama's boy. Talking about his feelings. <laughs> Talking about, I'm triggered, Mom. Esau's coming home on a Jeep. Jacob's coming home on a Prius. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and we got a problem because Esau is loved by his dad. Jacob is loved by his mom. And mom wants Jacob to succeed. Dad wants Esau to succeed. And Jacob... He's trying to find a way to become the firstborn. And one day, he comes up with a crazy plan. It's in the Bible. It blows my mind. The Bible is fascinating to me. It's like, man, dude has been hunting. He didn't catch anything. I'm going to make him the best soup in the world. Me and mom be watching the cooking channel. <laughs> Mom's like, that Rachel Ray recipe, that's the one. It's on the Bible. You can find it. Cooks this amazing stew. And Esau is so hungry. Jacob's like, I'll make a deal with you. You can have my soup, but you got to give me your birthright. Crazy story. What's even more crazy, Esau says, what do I care about a birthright? I'm hungry. Give me the soup. That story is crazy until you realize we're still doing the same thing. We got people all over the place selling their birthright. They're giving God salvation, restoration, healing for bowls of soup. They sell it for money. They sell it for sex. They sell it for alcohol. They sell it for pride. They sell it for laziness. We're selling the very thing that God says is your ultimate salvation. And we're like, eh, I'm hungry. You know the saying, never shop when you're hungry. Why? You will date the wrong girl. And you know what's crazy about this story? It's our story. It is our story. Like, you haven't read the Bible until you see yourself as Jacob. Until you see yourself as Esau. Because I got news for us. We are the villains. <laughs> Americans, we are the villains. Not me. Oh, my gosh. I'm amazing. <laughs> How hard it is to preach the gospel in America when we think we're the heroes. We're the villains. The problem is, God's choice was made, watch this, prior to birth. In other words, Paul says there was nothing about their merits that made God choose Abraham, I mean Jacob over Esau. There was no reason. In other words, when you look at Jacob's life, you're like, there's no way God can use that guy. Dude was hustling from the womb. There's no way. The choice was not based, please catch this, this is the hardest message. The choice was not based on merits. It was not based on what they did or didn't do. God made a choice prior to any of them doing anything because God is making a point. I don't choose you based on your merits. I choose you based on who I am. I'm good, you're not. <laughs> Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter two. Paul says this, look, watch this. For you are saved by what? Grace. Grace through faith. And this is not from? You ain't the hero. It is what? God's what? 
gift. You, can't, you, you cannot accept the gift with your hands full. Not from works. So that no one can. This is where the Americans have a hard time with the gospel. What you mean? Like, I'm amazing though. <laughs> now you can't boast about this. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. See, God's purpose in election, please catch this. God's purpose in election is to display his goodness. He's good. He may not be safe, but he's good. He has nothing to do with Jacob. He has nothing to do with Esau. He has nothing to do with you or what you haven't done. It has everything to do with who God is. There was nothing great about Jacob. Nothing great about Abraham. Nothing great about Isaac. Nothing great about David. The boy was crazy. It was goodness of God that chose these people. And it's the goodness of God that comes after you. Please write this down. Here's what election means. God's election means this. It means to pull out. Like God literally would look down on earth and pull out people from crazy situations and says, look, come, follow me. I got a plan and a purpose for your life. It's to choose. God chooses. Because if he doesn't choose, you don't choose him. I got great news for you. You didn't choose God. Once in a while you hear testimony, you know, and then, and then I found God. Where was he? <laughs> what, behind your couch? Like, where, where, where was, you don't choose God, my friends. I got news for you. God has to choose you. You don't know how to choose him. You just don't know. You ain't that smart. You dumb. I'm just quoting Jesus. Jesus says, you know what, hey, look, you know, you know what I know? He says, my sheep know my voice. You know how dumb sheep are? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you ever realized, it ain't a compliment. <laughs> it's a dig. You ain't that smart. <laughs> Man, you're like, <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, you better be, because you're dumb. You're never going to read Psalms 23 the same way again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because I'm a dummy. I need him to shepherd me. <laughs> you will never hear a sheep boast. Because, you listen, salvation is for the purpose of doing something. People go to church thinking they did it. No, you're not doing it if you're not doing something with it. God's not going, oh, meeny, miny, mo. Oh, you're cute. I'll take you. <laughs> God is not swiping left. <laughs> God purposes his election. He's got a purpose and a plan. Bigger than you. By the way, Many are called, few are chosen. In other words, if you don't pay attention, he'll say next. I got news for you, Americans. You're sitting around waiting for God to bless you. You ain't doing what God called you to do. He'll say next. He'll go to the next person and bless the next person and use the next person. Because you're too cute to serve. His election it's because he knows best. By the way, we have elections. How is that working out for us? <laughs> right? We have democracy. Democracy. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get in trouble here. <laughs> Depends on your qualified democracy. But how is that working out? Why? Because... We're limited in our understanding. We take promises from man-made promises. From people who don't even know right from wrong. <laughs> yes, we can. No, we can't. <laughs> Let's make America great again. Maybe again. Perhaps again. Again, maybe. Perhaps sometimes again. Maybe. Again, again. Again. Are you in? Our election is flawed. 
flawed system because we have limited understanding. And every four years, yeah. Four years later, ah. Oh. <laughs> I grew up in a church where this blew my mind as a kid. I didn't understand it. I get it now. Like, I grew up in a church where people would show up to vote their leaders in the church. And it's like, wait, what? Some people show up once a year just to vote and they know who to vote for. Based on what? Based on preferences, friendships. Not based on the will of sovereignty of God. Crazy. Our election doesn't work. Thank God that he elects because God knows what only God knows. See, we do elections as temporary. God does elections that is best for all eternity. If Esau understood that, he would never trade a temporary soup for his eternity. And neither would you. Tell people to wait. God's got a promise for you. No, I'm going to do it my way. I'll birth an Ishmael. People birth Ishmaels all the time because they don't trust the election of God. We'd rather be with someone we shouldn't be than to be alone and trust God for his timing to bring the right person into the equation that's going to bless our lives. Thank God that he elects, not us. So Paul says he loved Jacob, he hated Esau. You're like, how can God hate? Isn't God love? American's favorite verse. God is love. Well, keep reading. He's more. He's also holy and righteous and he's just and he's kind and he's good. But he, don't play. <laughs> Keep reading. No, I just like this part. This part right here. <laughs> That's how Americans read the Bible. But look at this. He's quoting the Bible. Paul is quoting Malachi chapter 2, one, chapter 1, when he says this. Watch this. In Malachi, God says this. Look, I have loved you, says the Lord. By this time, God has changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. From a trickster, deceiver, to the one who wrestles with God. It's a powerful story. Go look it up in Genesis, man. He gets into a UFC fight with the angel of the Lord, which is a symbol of Jesus in the Old Testament. And the angel of the Lord has to break his hip for him to submit. And you know you're walking with God when you walk with a limp. You know you're walking with the Lord when you walk with humility. And you know it ain't about me. He had to break my hip to submit me because as a knucklehead, I'd rather do it my way. He says he changed his name. He says, I love you now because I have a plan. Yeah, you ask, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave up his inheritance to the desert jackals. And you're like, wow, this is intense. Yes, it is. You know why? Because Jacob becomes Israel. Esau becomes Edom. And they fight. Because they have two worldviews. Still going on today. You know what's happening in the Middle East? Go read your Bibles. This is the struggle of the Middle East. Different perspectives, different worldviews, different gods, different agendas. So when God says, I hated Esau, you have to understand the context here, the idiom of the Bible. It doesn't, the English translation doesn't do it justice. He's talking about preferences and rejections here. Remember, Esau rejected his birthright. God didn't make him reject his birthright. He had to choose to reject his birthright. So remember that. Jesus echoes the same thing. Watch this. This is Jesus' words. Luke chapter 14. Look, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, here's the word again, his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You're like, dang, that's heavy. Why is Jesus saying we should hate our own family? My friends, you have to understand, idiom is saying in preference of life, if you don't have this commitment to me above everything else, you won't be able to even enjoy the things that, you, that I've blessed you to enjoy. In other words, this is a matter of loyalty and commitment and preference that is so real and so powerful that it feels like you're hating the people that you love. But the truth is, when God is in his right place, then you can enjoy the people that you love. 
So, because only Jesus can truly satisfy your soul. Jesus even goes as far as saying, hey, you know who my brothers and sisters are? The ones who do the will of my Father. Because those are the ones who can truly be satisfied in their souls. Are you tracking with me? God was gracious towards Jacob, just like God is gracious towards you if you know him. There's nothing that you did to make God want to be gracious to you. Nothing. And that's the bad news for Americans. What do you mean? I'm amazing. No, you're not. God knows. So the question I leave you with, worship team, you can come, is this. Is God inconsistent then? So how can God do this? Is he inconsistent? It's like a toddler asking you, Mom, that's not fair. What does a toddler know? <laughs> God wants what God wants because God sees what God sees. And let me add one more for you today. Only God knows what God knows. But please hear me on this. Write this down. There's no superiority of believers over unbelievers. If any time you see a religious person acting like they're better than somebody else, they don't understand the grace of God. They have religion. They don't have God. Because the only response, when you understand the grace of God, it makes you humble. It makes you grateful. That God would choose to reveal himself to me? Me? Who am I that God is mindful of me, says the Psalms. Like, who am I? Like, uh, I was thinking about this. I grew up <laughs> in a third world country that if you go at the map right now, you won't find it. It's so small, it barely makes the map. It's like a little beep in the west coast of Africa. It's a little tiny island in the west coast of Africa. Somehow, by his grace, he decided to pull me out of there, bring me here, and make me doing what I'm doing today. Like, what? <laughs> what? Hey, it's, it blows my mind. Now, retrace your own steps. You never found God. He was never lost. Found you. Go ahead, retrace your steps this week. Think about your life. Think about how you got here. You will see by the grace of God I got here. I got nothing to boast about. Once in a while you hear people say, how can a good, loving God send people to hell? First of all, he doesn't send anyone to hell. You have to choose that. But the second of all is, have you ever thought about this? To me, hell makes a lot of sense. Because I know us. See, Americans, see, see. <laughs> like, hell makes sense. Why would a perfect, loving God bring people into a place where we don't deserve, we don't earn it? I think hell makes more sense than heaven does. If you understand humans, you know, think about it. Once in a while, you American have had a moment when you're like, man, send them to hell. Jonah, prophet of God, was like, yo, I ain't preaching to those people. Let them go to hell. <laughs> that's basically what he said. By the way, when you're not sharing the gospel, that's what you're saying. Hey, let them go to hell. God has to intervene. He preached to Nineveh without wanting to, and God still saved them because the word of God is more powerful than you. <laughs> and he sat back, and he's like, okay, God, let it rain. And God, it's like, why wouldn't I show mercy to these people? And he got mad at God for God showing them mercy. This is a prophet. You see why we don't earn it, we don't deserve it. God has to intervene. God has to reveal himself to us. We can never, like, I don't understand self-righteousness. It makes absolutely no sense for me to think that I might somehow made myself righteous. That's why religious fights, theological fights, like, we can fight over Election, predestination, and miss God. Because we, 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 the prideful ones, can tell you how God works. And miss him in the process. Hell makes a lot of sense. Heaven? Why? 
guy, unless he's good. Unless he's like, man, I want a family. I'll work. Well, I'll work. That's nothing else to work with than the jacked up ones. <laughs> and I'll make a, a family out of them. That's the good news. That's the good news. We don't find God. He found us. Let me end with this. Very humbling. This should make you grateful. Watch this. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Watch this. He says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Can I get a witness? Come on, you see students. D, like D minus. <laughs> Barely. That, that to pass you in high school? <laughs> not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Anyone here from the crown? No? Instead, God has chosen what is what? Say it like you are one. In the world to shame the? <laughs> and God has chosen what is what? In the world to shame the? God has chosen what is? Just a West African and despised in the world what his view was nothing to bring to nothing what his view was something so that no one may boast in his presence. Ah, <laughs> uh, so good. Watch this. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness. You don't become righteous unless Jesus is in you. Our sanctification, our redemption, in order that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do I have any believers in this house? Come on, stand up and give Jesus some praise for choosing you, for choosing to reveal himself to you. You didn't choose God. He chose you. You didn't find God. God found you and revealed himself to you and gave you his spirit and gave you his power and gave you his will. And it's God who began a good work. And it's God who will finish it. You don't have what it takes. You need the spirit of God to make you who you are. And if you know what I'm talking about, you better give him some praise because your breath is his. Your will is his. Your power is his. Everything that you have belongs to him. It's your breath in my lungs. Come on and give him praise.